Well, let's pray, shall we, just as we uh, come to look at those uh, verses over the next uh, few moments. Uh, During Jesus' ministry, the Greeks came to him and said, uh, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And that is our request this morning. Uh, Lord Jesus, we want to see you more clearly, that we may love you more dearly and follow you more nearly. Uh, May you help me as I speak, help us as we listen, uh, to see you for who you are and for what you came to do and what you do today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, I'm, not a hist- I'm a historian, not a believer, and yet I confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is at the very centre of human history. I'm a historian, not a believer, and yet I confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is at the very centre of human history. Those words were written by H.G. Wells, probably best known for writing science fiction. Uh, but he also wrote some history as well. He was writing probably nearly 100 years ago. And you know, I think what he said then could be said today. Uh, Jesus is at the very centre of history. No one else has influenced the world in quite the way uh, that Jesus has. Uh, think about it. Uh, how many sermons have been preached about him? How many books have been written about him? Uh, How many works of art have been influenced directly by him? Uh, Wars have been fought over him. Uh, Millions of people around the world, down through the ages, have worshipped him. And yet, who is he? What's he about? Why did he come? And even more than that, what difference does it make to us today? Well, Mark's account of Jesus' life and ministry that we're beginning to look at uh, this morning uh, is written to answer those questions. Uh, It is about the gospel, about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark gives it away in verse 1. Mark's favourite word is immediately, so he dives straight in into the action point. So let's do that as well and follow his lead. And I think those three things that he says about Jesus, that he's Jesus, he's the Christ, he's the Son of God, are reflected uh, in, even in these first uh, 15 verses for us. Uh, let's look first at the uh, ministry of the forerunner, John the Baptist, uh, which shows us that Jesus is uh, the Messiah. Uh, we live in a day of Instagram and click and collect, don't we? We're not really used to the idea of having to wait for something. It, we kind of are used to getting it on tap. Uh, and yet the Jews at the time uh, that uh, Mark is describing were a people who were very much were used to waiting. They'd been waiting for hundreds of years uh, for the Messiah or the Christ. Uh, better perhaps we might translate it, the anointed one, this anointed king uh, that God had promised. Uh, from ancient times, the Jews, the people of God, uh, had looked forward to a day when God would send uh, this Messiah, the one whom the prophets had foretold. And to different people, This promise of Messiah meant different things. Uh, So for some people, he was going to be a kind of political leader. Uh, He'd come and uh, he'd rise up. He would, uh, you know, create a strong nation of Israel. He'd lead a kind of political movement, a political revival. For other people, he was going to be more of a military leader. Uh, He'd rise up, he'd raise up an army, he'd crush the Romans, throw them out, and Israel would be strong again and secure forever in the eyes of the world. Never more, they'd be bossed around by all the bigger nations. Uh, For other people, they thought he was going to be some kind of religious leader. Uh, He'd lead this kind of revival of Judaism uh, that they were looking for. They had different ideas about him. 
And yet in contrast to the Jews of uh, the, the age, uh, Mark is absolutely clear who this Messiah is and what his mission will be. There's no doubt in Mark's mind. We can see that from verse 1, uh, can't we? Uh, he's clear that Jesus is this Messiah, the, Jews, uh, the one the Jews have been waiting for. Uh, when he describes him as Jesus Christ, it's not his surname, as some people might be tempted to think. It's more like a title, an authority title. It's a bit like saying King Jesus, we could say. Mark is absolutely clear. This is who it is. You've been waiting for ages. This is the man. Uh, he then goes on, doesn't he, in verses 2 uh, and 3, to quote uh, from the prophet Isaiah, uh, showing how Isaiah foretold that the Messiah uh, would be heralded by a forerunner. Uh, It's written in Isaiah the prophet, verse 2. I will send my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. Uh, Mark points us to recognise that John the Baptist is that forerunner. He's the one that Isaiah was talking about. And because he, in turn, points to Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah is here. It is Jesus. But uh, what kind of Messiah is Jesus? Uh, Who was right out of all the Jews uh, of that age? Once again, Mark is crystal clear for us. Uh, And it's a Messiah in a way that nobody actually could have imagined. Well, certainly they weren't thinking of that uh, around that uh, that time. Uh, In Palestine, the the roads were largely unfinished. Uh, They still are, quite often. Uh, Dusty tracks. Uh, And in ancient times, uh, when a king came, uh, the, uh, the uh, people, uh, they would send out a herald to tell the people uh, who he was going to visit to prepare the way for him, just kind of level the road, sweep it out, out of the way, sweep all the stones out of the way and prepare the way for him. Uh, and John the Baptist is the herald for the Messiah, Jesus. Uh, and he tells God's people, God's king is here and you must make preparations. That leads to the question, doesn't it? What kind of preparations did John the Baptist have in mind? Perhaps if you were thinking Jesus was going to be a political leader, maybe you'd start making your banners and putting up your, uh, your posters in, your, uh, in your, uh, your front windows. Perhaps if you were waiting for a military leader, you'd be sort of thinking, well, perhaps I need to start sharpening the swords, get the weapons ready, get some training in. I don't know. But John tells us that actually Jesus is a very different Messiah because the preparations that he requires are spiritual. They're inward. It's not about raising up weapons or uh, putting out posters. He's looking for inward preparations, the preparation of people's hearts. Uh, Verse 4, John came baptising in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, That word repentance means literally to kind of about turn. Uh, It means to, to acknowledge that we're going the wrong way, Uh, the sinful way, the way that's not God's way, and to do an about turn and to walk instead in the ways of God. Uh, And as a visible sign of this, John baptised people uh, in the river uh, as a kind of sign of them being washed clean. When they turned away from their sins, they could be washed clean. It's a kind of picture uh, that what what they'd done in their hearts uh, was really, really true. And it was actually this that made Jesus the Messiah so radically different from what everyone had been thinking. Uh, The Jews were very familiar with the idea of repenting and being washed clean. If anyone converted to be a Jew in the Old Testament uh, from being a a non-Jew, this is what they'd have to do. They'd have to admit that their previous ways had been wrong, they'd be baptised, they'd be kind of washed clean ceremonially, and then they could be part of the family of God. 
What was so astonishing, though, is that John said that everyone needed to be washed clean and repent. Not just the non-Jews, not just the Gentiles, but everybody, Jew or Greek or Syrian, whatever you might be, all had to be washed clean, prepared and to prepare the way for the Messiah. All of us have gone down the wrong path. There's no exceptions. You can't say that you're okay and everyone else uh, is, uh, is in the wrong. To be ready to receive Jesus as the King, the Messiah, uh, means turning from what we know to be wrong and putting our trust in him and allowing him to wash us clean. I guess it was pretty shocking in Jesus' day for the Jews to hear that. A lot of them probably would have thought, I'm okay. It's the people outside Judaism who need to be sorted out. And maybe that's quite shocking for us, actually, today as well. Lots of us probably think we're okay. Maybe we think, well, I was born in a Christian family. My parents were Christians. Maybe uh, we were baptised at some point in the past. Maybe we've even been confirmed. Uh, Maybe we're faithful churchgoers. I'm a house group leader, perhaps, you could say. And yet it's not about the outward things. If Jesus is the Messiah, what he really wants is a change of our hearts, an inward uh, change. Uh, Billy Graham, the, uh, the famous evangelist, used to say uh, that uh, going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, and so going to church doesn't make you a Christian. It's not about the kind of outward actions. It's the inward actions that matter. Jesus is the Messiah. He calls us to follow his way and to call him our king. And the question is, are we doing that? Well, let's uh, move on, shall we, to uh, talk about, look at Jesus' baptism and his temptation. I think this shows for us that Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, if you think about it, Jesus' baptism gives us a bit of a problem, doesn't it? Um, we've seen that John the Baptist's baptism was all about repentance and turning away from sin, being washed clean. Uh, and yet, as Christians, we believe that Jesus never sinned. He was perfect. Why did he then need to be baptised? to be uh, washed clean, as it were. Why did he bother with it? It makes no sense, does it? Uh, I think, very briefly, there are four reasons why it matters and why this is really, really important. Uh, Firstly, Jesus' baptism marked for him a moment of decision. Uh, Think about it. For 30 years, Jesus uh, had been been living his life, growing up in Nazareth, and he'd known that he knows that at some point his life's work is going to properly begin. And with the arrival of John the Baptist on the scene and then with uh, submitting to baptism by John, that moment has arrived. The moment is here. It marks that moment where Jesus' ministry uh, has begun. But secondly, I think Jesus' baptism was a moment of identification. Uh, We've said, haven't we, Jesus was without sin. He had really no need to be baptised. He didn't need to be washed clean. And yet, Scripture tells us later on, that God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's St. Paul writing, explaining this uh, in uh, his letter to the Corinthians, second letter to the Corinthians. Can you see what's going on? At his baptism, Jesus identified fully with the sinful world uh, that he came to save. Uh, many, many years earlier, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, wrote of uh, the, uh, the, the suffering servant, uh, God's Messiah, that he would be numbered with the transgressors. And that's happening here. Jesus is identifying himself fully with sinful humanity. Even as his mission began, it's clear where it's going. He is here to be with sinful humanity, not just to be with them, but ultimately 
to die for them. Jesus, the one who never sinned, would pay the price of sinners. He would die in their place. Even here, he is identifying with us. Die in our place that we could be counted sinless before God. Uh, Thirdly, Jesus' baptism, I think, is a moment of approval. Uh, It's interesting, isn't it, that John uh, Mark recalls for us uh, that as Jesus came up out of the water, uh, the voice of God the Father himself affirmed Jesus as the Son of God, loved by the Father, in whom the Father delights. Uh, So uh, here we are, verse 11. A voice came from heaven. You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Uh, If we might doubt whether Jesus truly is the Son of God, surely this verse dispels all those doubts. Uh, Jesus is not only the Messiah, he is also the Son of God. Uh, And all that he does is done with the full approval of the Father. He's not going rogue. He's not some kind of lone ranger. He's just decided to go off and do this by himself. Uh, He does it with the full express approval of the Father. He is the beloved Son. Uh, Fourthly, Jesus' baptism was a moment of equipping. Uh, Alongside the approval of the Father as he emerged from the water, uh, Mark records for us how the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form uh, of a dove. Uh, Those of you who might know your Bibles uh, will be aware that throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is recorded as falling on specific individuals uh, to to fulfil specific tasks that God gave them. So it's not surprising, therefore, that as Jesus begins his ministry, so the Holy Spirit falls on him in order for him to be equipped. And it's that same Spirit which in turn then drives Jesus out into the desert uh, to endure testing by Satan. Again, we see Jesus identifying with us, with sinful humanity. Uh, uh, Somebody, uh, a famous preacher once said that uh, God had one child without sin, and yet he had none without temptation. Uh, Jesus is identifying with the experience of sinful humanity. All of us know what it's like uh, to be tested and tried by Satan. So does Jesus. Uh, He knows what it's like. And yet, what's the difference here when Jesus is tested? The difference is that he proves faithful. If you or I had been in that situation, I bet we can guarantee that we would have fallen. <laughs> I know I would have done. I wouldn't have been able to, to stand 40 days being tested by Satan. But Jesus can. Jesus can prove faithful. He is sinless. He is the Son of God, and no one can stand against him. <coughs> uh, many years ago, I um, played in a cricket match with um, a uh, cricketer called Henry Alonga. I don't know if any of you have heard of him, but he was, used to play, uh, he was a test cricketer for Zimbabwe. A very good test cricketer, actually. And uh, it, it was a great game to play in. It was lots of fun. Uh, but one thing really struck me. Uh, Henry Longa was a really, really generous guy. Uh, he was much, much better than the team that I was playing for. Uh, by a long, long way, I can say. Uh, it was a pretty rubbish uh, cricket team. Uh, but he was playing as a guest, and he was much, much better than any of us. He could have been treated very, very differently. Frankly, he deserved to be. We should have said to him, look, Henry, you bat where you like. Uh, you can open the bowling. You can field wherever you want to do Whatever you want to do, that's fine. You, you, I mean, you're Henry Longer. You've played test match cricket. And we're just rubbish. We'll do what you say. And yet he didn't. He was very, very noticeable for putting himself at our disposal. Uh, he said, I'll bat where you like. I'll bat number 11 if you want me to. I'll be the last to bowl. I'll field in the place where no one else wants to field. Uh, he became one of us. He wore our team shirt. He could have worn his test cap if he'd wanted to. He was entitled to, I guess. And I was thinking this week that that's a bit like uh, Jesus, isn't it? Uh, Jesus could have gone around uh, flaunting himself. And yet he left 
the privileges of heaven to enter into what it meant to be a sinful human fully. Uh, He knows what it's like to be tested. He identifies with us in baptism. He died for us. He took our place. He doesn't stand apart on his uh, credentials, uh, but he identifies with us. He came to serve us that we might become what he is, a child of God. And the question for us this morning is, will we let him serve us? He is the son of God who came, who died for us. Will we let him serve us in order that we might become the righteousness of God? As Paul says, we might become uh, like him. Let me have a drink of water before my voice completely gives out. And let's look at this uh, final section. As Jesus begins his ministry, the preaching ministry of the Lord Jesus... And I think this points us uh, to the last thing I want to say about Jesus, that Jesus is the saviour. Jesus is the saviour. Many of you will know that uh, Claire and I recently had our first child. Uh, We spent quite a long time trying to choose uh, his name, uh, and really we ended up just choosing it because we liked it. Uh, We liked Timothy. Uh, There was nothing particularly significant about it for us. Uh, We just liked it. And I guess that's probably true for most people today when they're uh, thinking about names for babies. But in times past, names had huge significance uh, for people. Um, They told you something about them. We have, I guess, a kind of hint of that, don't we, in some of our surnames. So somebody who um, is perhaps called Fletcher, for example, you know that at some point back in history their ancestors made arrows, because a Fletcher is uh, somebody who makes arrows. Or Smith, for example, somebody who's called Smith, at some point will have had ancestors uh, who were blacksmiths, it's more than likely. Uh, Jesus' name is crucial for understanding uh, who he is. Uh, In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, uh, we're told that Joseph was told by the angel that he had to call his son Jesus. Uh, Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Uh, Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Yeshua, or Joshua, as we might uh, might, uh, say it. Uh, And literally, it means the Lord saves, or, or God's the rescue. We might have a slightly different uh, way of putting it. Even before he was born, Jesus' identity was clear. He is God's appointed saviour of the world. There was a famous preacher in the Victorian times called uh, Robert Dale, and he said this, Jesus came not so much to preach the gospel, but that there might be a gospel to preach. Uh, Jesus came to be the gospel, to be the good news, the good news of a saviour. And yet, whilst uh, Robert Dale's quote is true, equally in the next verse we can see that Jesus did come to preach the gospel. He came to preach the gospel. Why? Because that it was through the preaching of the good news that the full truth of his saving mission could be understood by everyone. And I think in these verses, even these just first uh, two verses uh, that Mark gives us of Jesus' ministry, we see some vital truths about what it means for Jesus to be the saviour. Uh, firstly, Jesus is, Jesus is the saviour is in accordance with God's timing. Uh, so uh, verse 15, Jesus says, the time has come. Uh, the word that uh, is used for time there is kairos, which the Bible uses to denote God's time, kind of God's appointed time, God's special time. This is all in accordance with God's timing. God is behind this. Jesus has come because God uh, has sent him. Secondly, and relatedly really, Jesus' salvation is the fulfilment of God's plan. So verse 15, Jesus goes on, the kingdom of God is near. 
the kingdom of God is Jesus' favourite way of describing his mission. And it's quite, a, it's quite a difficult concept to get our heads around. Lots of people have written very, very long books about it. We haven't got much time. Let me try and summarise it for us. Uh, essentially, the kingdom of God means this. Uh, it's God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. God's people in God's place under God's rule and God's blessing. Uh, we've seen, haven't we, how the prophets pointed ahead to a day uh, when God would rule over his people and his world. And in the coming of the Lord Jesus, that day has arrived. The kingdom of God uh, is here. Uh, because Jesus lived a perfect life in full obedience to his Father, because he died a perfect death, uh, he's made it possible for us, for you and me, to be God's people Uh, to know our Heavenly Father through him and to enjoy his loving rule and blessing. And we'll know that in fullness when Jesus comes uh, to renew heaven and earth. In sending Jesus to be our saviour, God accomplished what he had always planned. What the prophets had said had come true. He would put everything right and gather a people together for himself. As Paul said, the promises of God find their yes in him. Jesus is the one in whom it all comes together. Thirdly, Jesus' salvation is a salvation that demands a response. Verse 15 again, Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. It's all very well to talk about enjoying God's rule and blessing, and who wouldn't want that? And yet Jesus is clear, if we do want to be part of that, there's got to be some action on our part. And it's the same thing that John the Baptist said, isn't it? We have to repent and believe the good news. We have to turn away from all that we know that is wrong, from sin. And instead turn around and follow Jesus' way. Uh, We have to believe, we have to trust that Jesus has done everything possible to make us part of the people of God and to enjoy uh, life with him. We must turn from sin and turn to Jesus. Uh, There's an old story told about uh, Admiral Nelson uh, when he was uh, fighting uh, the wars against the French many, many years ago. And apparently he captured a French ship and the uh, defeated captain came onto his quarter deck Uh, to meet him, meet the one who defeated him. Uh, And as he came towards Nelson, he held out his hand as an act of friendship. Uh, Nelson apparently refused to shake his hand until he'd surrendered his sword. He said that he couldn't kind of hang on to his sword as this act of defiance and still want to be friends. Uh, And it's the same with us and Jesus. Uh, We can't say that we want to be Jesus' friends unless we surrender uh, to him in fully. We can't just hang on to some areas of our life that we, uh, we want to, the bits that we like that we don't want him to be Lord of. We have to turn fully from sin and turn to follow him and enjoy life with him. That's the offer that he gives us this morning. He says we can be his friends, we can be part of the kingdom of God under God's rule and God's blessing. We can enjoy life with him in a way that's beyond our wildest dreams. And yet we can only do it if we will reject our, our sinful ways and follow him. The choice is ours. Who is Jesus? Mark tells us. He is God's promised king, the Messiah. He's God's promised son, the son of God, in whom God delights. And he is the saviour, the one who's come to bring salvation to all who believe and turn from sin. And he invites us to recognise him and to receive him today. May that be true for us. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we thank you that... uh, You are who Mark says. You are Jesus, you are the saviour. You are the Christ, the one whom the prophets spoke of. You're the king. 
You are the Son of God, the one in whom the Father delights. And we thank you so much that you were obedient to the Father's call. And you offer us a chance of being part of your kingdom this morning. And we pray that we would accept your offer. Uh, We would RSVP in our hearts uh, this morning. Amen.